0: I am excited tonight about what I'm going to talk about. Um, I The Holy Spirit last week was like, I want you to talk about unity. And I was like, wah, You know, because unity just is such a boring word to me. It was. Because it's just like, that just means, you know, let's just all get along. And I just don't always get along with everybody. And so that makes me tired right at the beginning. You know, why we got to talk about unity? And, and it's just not very sexy. You know, it's like, I like to charge the hill and unity to me is like, hmm, yeah, this is keeping me up. So, uh, and then the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me what unity was. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's uh, I'll be happy to speak on that. I want you to know, last week after the service, Pastor Damien, and if you missed the last two weeks, I highly encourage you to get the podcast so good. Uh, Pastor Damien is more than iron sharpens iron. He cuts you in all the right places. Um, but afterwards, he said, I, um, I just want to give you something to think about. And he and I meet every other week. We have for three years. I dearly love this man. And he said, uh, you are such a powerful man. But he goes, I think your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. And I'm like, okay, I'm all ears. Because of his life and the way he lives with me, he's saying that to me for my good. He said, you fiercely love people. And I think you've gotten to where when you talk in public, you're afraid you're going to hurt people. And so you don't really boldly bring what you have to the table because you're afraid that somebody's going to get their feelings hurt. And he said, you need to stop it. You need to start bringing the word. And today, my spiritual father, Dad Tar, nailed me on the same thing. And so did the guy who's pastored me for about 14 years now, Chad Everett, at lunch. Dad Tar over pancakes at 10 o'clock, Chad over tacos at 12. So I'm here to bring the word tonight. So uh, we didn't have a testimony tonight, and since I'm talking about unity, I thought I would just tell you why I have some authority in this area, because I do. Um, I was molested when I was 12, and I've told that story many times, but that began in my early 20s. I really was confused about a lot of things. And so I had a lot of same-sex experiences in my late 20s, 30s, and it continued on for some time. Um, God began to totally bring me out of that and bring me restoration. However, that's ongoing. And so for all of you in the room who, you know, you've given your testimony and you think, well, my testimony, I'm not going to talk anymore after my cutoff time. You know, I told, uh, Chad was, he's pastored me for a long time. And when I, he and I first began to really have some breakthroughs, he's like, I want you to start giving your testimony. And I'm like, I will. In about two years, when I'm, you know, all cleaned up. And he goes, no, that is history. That's not a testimony. I was like, oh, okay. Through the years in the church, people who deal with same-sex issues are no more safe most of the time in the church than they are in the world. As a matter of fact, sometimes you're safer in the world. And so for many years, uh, not everybody... Of course, the older I got, people would go, have you ever been married? And I'm like, no. Oh, awkward silence, and then change the subject. And, um, you know, uh, through the years, I learned many things about remaining in unity with people who I necessarily didn't agree with, didn't feel respected by, nor was I treated well by. And so I want to share with you some of the things that I've learned about unity because I believe there's no greater need even in our country. I was thinking of our ministry and what God's doing in Sacramento, and yesterday Cody Silva stopped by, and he just dropped in on me from L.A. and then went on back home. But um, he said, actually, that's the greatest need in our country. Yeah. If you read Facebook, Facebook make me, makes me so tired sometimes. I just got to read. I mean, I started do posting these sweet, sappy little videos, just to break it up, you know? It's, if it's not black, black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter, and everybody's mad at everybody else because we don't all, you know, we all have our own interpretation. Or it's, you know, the Republicans, or the Democrats, or Trump, or Hillary, or, you know, and it's just like, you get worn out, just, I don't even want to open it up. We need unity. And I believe there's a total attack on it because God is so clear that that's his intent. And Christ died so that we could walk in unity. So I want to share some verses to make my sermon real. Um, I want to read to you from John 17, 20 through 23. And I'm reading from the Passion Bible. I actually have something that I'm going to ask Shadi and some folks to pass out at the end because the Passion Bible is my new favorite translation. It says, I ask not only for these disciples, and this is Jesus praying his prayer before he's crucified. So it's kind of like right before he goes to the cross, these are his priorities. I ask not only for these disciples, the 11 that were still with him, but also for all those who will one day believe in me through their message. That's y'all. I pray to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory... You have given to me, I have given to them so that we'll be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. That is really powerful. Bring your head out of the King James Version, shake your brain, make it wake up. I am reading the Bible, but there's something personal for you. God, imagine the intimacy that God and Jesus had. That's so powerful. That's what Jesus was saying he wants for us. But he says he wants us to have that so that people will know you live fully in me and now I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity. And the world will be convinced that you've sent me because of our perfect unity. For they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love you have for me. Now that makes me feel like a failure right off the bat. Because I know some of y'all, And we are never going to have what the church and the world describe as unity. Because some of you guys' ideas are dumb. And I'm always right, and you're always wrong. You know what I mean? So it makes unity this. And then right in the middle of it, he puts that glory word. And I've always like, you know read right through that word, glory, and that's like, that's this bling bling word. You know, it's just this, wow, that's an amazing word. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I don't even know what glory is. What's glory? So yesterday, I'm talking to my sister. My sister's an incredibly wise woman. I talk with her through a lot of things. We're talking through some very deep topics, like my other sister's broken ankle and, you know, what the weather's like there. And then I ask her, what's, I'm, I'm trying to, like, understand, do you have any ideas? She used to go to Chuck Pierce's church, and it was called Glory of Zion. That's the name of the church. So I'm like, duh. She probably has all kinds of revelation. I'm like, what's glory? She goes, hmm. So I just waited, because she's really deep. Sometimes it takes her a minute. But she never really came up with anything. She goes, I don't know. I'm like, well, awesome. So I started studying what's glory. I looked up the definition up. It's very great praise, honor, or distinction bestowed by common consent or renown. And I was like, that has no bling-bling on it. So today, after I got home from meeting with Dad Tar, I'm working on my sermon, and I called him, and I'm like, hey, Dad, um, how do you define glory? And the reason I called him, he's been, like, president of two seminaries, chancellor of two universities, has five books in print. He's been and he just got back from Africa Tuesday. He's been on the mission field for, I think, 40 years or they moved 40 times, but it was pretty close in there. He speaks four languages. He's amazing. I'm like, he'll know what glory is. So I said, how do you define glory? And he said, you know the love that exists between you and I? I was like, yeah. He goes, it's very rare. Many people in the world will never know love like that. And immediately I realized, like, he told me this church in Fresno wants him to come speak on Speaking in Tongues because he's really amazing at it. And this morning, and he said, I'd probably go down on a, it'd be on a Wednesday night. And I knew he was asking me if I wanted to go along. And I was like, I'd be happy to go and drive for you. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't look to see if I had an appointment with one of y'all, because if I do, you're canceled. <laughs> this is my dad. He texted me about four months ago. He was going to Africa. And he said, uh, son, I need a ride to the airport in the morning. Can you take me or can one of your sons? And I texted him back, I've got it. Once again, I didn't look to see if you were on my calendar because I'm consistent, you're canceled. <laughs> this is my dad. He's 82, and I've never had a spiritual dad before, and I'm 60 this year. I've had many sons and daughters, but I've, I've had men and women that I put in my life to speak into my life. But I've never had somebody who would text me, son, I love you. When I got home uh, from my vacation, he was in Africa then, too. And I sent him a text, I miss your bones. In the future, could you please schedule your traveling so that you were home when I get home? Because that will work best for me. Thank you. <laughs> and he sent me a text back, you are very funny. I miss you, too. The reason I share those things is because I don't have to think about what my priorities are. And he's going to love me. He knows all my dirt because I have on purpose told him. Because if I could run him off, I wanted to. I don't want to be vulnerable to somebody who one day I'm going to screw up and they're going to leave. Not at the level I was offering him. And he's met every single hurdle that I thought I was giving him. I told him there are some pastors who would be more comfortable if I'd get married. And he goes, well, I hope my name's not on that list because that's not how I think. I said, I know. So then he proceeded to talk to me about glory. He said, there is no poverty like pride and there are no riches like obedience and subservience. That is why Satan works so hard to keep us in pride and deception. And then he said, you have glory when I come out from behind my PhD and I sit across from you and I let you finish all of your sentences and then I share myself and who I am. This morning at breakfast, we were talking about some of this. He goes, I'm 82, but I'm still learning so much when I sit across from him I'm totally myself I don't try to impress him and I have the kind of personality I'm a little bit of a catalyst so I'll ask questions most people they're like I don't know who you think you are to be asking me that question I ask him those questions and he gives me real answers sometimes I'm a little bit of a brat I don't hold back on my brat when I'm with him But glory is when you have the kind of connection that I want to serve him because I know his his goal. He can tell me any hard thing he wants to say. I don't care. I'm all ears. And I'm taking notes because it's all for my good. Over and over, Jesus said, I can only do what I see my father doing. Or I can only do what my father tells me to do. It's not popular to preach about this kind of stuff in today's world. One of my sons recently, I was talking to him about something, and I said, I think you feel uncomfortable with this conversation. I don't think you like it very much because you like to be asked questions and then you like to get to your own answers. Somewhere down here, and we feel warm and cozy. when well, it's over, and we have a group hug, and then you go home. And he's like, you're right, I don't really like this. So I flipped around Hebrews 12, about the last nine verses of that. And I said, read that. I'm not your counselor. I'm your dad. And I don't wait for you to figure something out all the time or ask me questions. The greater your potential, and the more that you start stepping towards that, the more I start speaking into that. That's glory when we start living at that level of relationship. Dad Tar said, Satan tempted Adam and Eve with power when they already had exactly what God wanted them to have, and they failed in their test. Satan also tempted Jesus right after he came off a fast with three powerful temptations, and each time Jesus directed Satan to the word of God and refused to take more power than God had given him. He could have. He did not. And dad said, there's great power in weakness. How many of you have ever been around somebody they're always trying to draw attention to what a wonderful person they are and all their accomplishments? We have the most amazing family. And the reason I have this great tan and this awesome body is because of my genetics. And for graduation from high school, I got a JAG, and I can't wait to find out what I'm gonna get when I get out of college, because I'm sure it's gonna be good. And I have four interviews lined up with 16 Fortune 500 companies, but I don't think I'm gonna do it because I'm gonna go to Harvard and get my PhD. Don't you love people like that? Me too. I suddenly remember errands that I didn't realize I had to run and then I have to go to the bathroom and I'll be <coughs> right back. It's powerful when you can be with, in the presence of other people and simply be exactly who you are, celebrating them and sharing yourself. First Corinthians 1:10 says, "Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment." Now that makes me feel overwhelmed. How can you be of the same mind? I know some of you. I don't even like your mind and how it thinks. <laughs> Ephesians 4:11 through13. And he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature belonging to the fullness of God. We have uh, sermons on the podcast. I'd encourage you to go back and read them. Listen to them. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Eric talked about all of those. It's so important that we begin to understand how those work. Because we listen to this other verse that I just read. We're all supposed to have no division and have the same mind and the same judgment. And we're overwhelmed by that. In fact, we don't even give it much thought because that's impossible. Because we're all sitting here and you're thinking of a couple of times you've gone to a small group and that, stuck up. I don't know who he thinks he is. Made you feel like dirt because he kind of gave you the impression that he'd never go out with you. Or she acted like she was all that and she planned a party right in front of you and never even invited you. Right? Or that girl walks by me every single Thursday night. I know she knows my name, but she acts like she don't. I can't have unity with them. Psalm 133.1, how truly wonderful and delightful to see precious brothers and sisters living together in sweet unity. For from this realm of sweet harmony, God will release his eternal blessing, the promise of life forever. And I'm like, awesome, God. I'm going to work on the other stuff, unity. I quit. Let's just be straight up. I'm not doing that. I want to talk about how to the pillars of unity. You need to know your identity and your current place in the kingdom. Because you can walk in unity with people you don't really like. And I want to tell you how to do that. Your level of coming into unity with others will always stop at the maturity level of your identity. People cannot bump you. Like somebody will say something and you're like, I don't know who she thinks she is. Or somebody who's really good at sarcasm, which I used to be the king of. And God's been setting me free, but it was so deep, it's (laughs) taken a while. People can say almost anything and you can choose to go, that's actually not me. Here's another one. The maturity of our identities is not measured by the theology we can articulate. It's seen in the fruit of your relationships. Whoops, I meant to say our relationships. That way it doesn't get too personal. You see the maturity of Jesus' sonship by his perseverance in living in close relationship with the disciples. Do you ever read the Gospels? Those dudes were idiots. I mean, he had the, you can't tell me, he doesn't record it, and maybe because he was in perfect unity with God, but I, I know what it's like for people to go, yeah, I heard that so-and-so slept with somebody. In fact, they've slept with two or three people. You've been discipling them, right? (laughs) It's like, you know what I say every single time I'm presented with something like that? Yes, I have. Yes, I certainly have. The same thing that God says about me every time somebody brings up one of my screw-ups. That is my son. It always cracks me up. I mean, I've never had anybody I disciple bring their mama to ask me if they could be in a special place on the leadership team, not just on the team, but in the special place. You know? Jesus had two disciples, mama show up. I would like for them to sit on either side of you. Is that a problem? I'll be happy to bring pizza like once a week or... And yet when you look at Acts 2, 13... The disciples, after Jesus went back, the disciples were in one room, and this is so powerful. It says, the Bible says they were continually devoting themselves to prayer with one mind. I believe that there is a coming move of God in Sacramento. It's already started. And it's going to be among the young adults, and it's not just going to be epic life. It's going to be a whole ton of us. Tomorrow morning at 640, actually at 420, I get on, I get in my car to, or a ride to go to the airport because I'm going to JCLA because we're going to have a Strip 24, which is a weekend of prayer for young adults. We've had it the last two years. This is our third year. It's on October 8th, and you need to put it on your calendar. I'm going down there to stand in the middle of the atrium. Me, old, bald, I know all these things. I'm going to stand there and talk to all these young adults like, hey, you need to check this booth out. Because we're having a statewide prayer meeting in Sacramento. Wow. Because we are the capital. Yeah. And what starts here spreads through California. And what starts in California spreads across the United States. Yeah. At our planning meeting last week, you guys know sometimes I yell when there's anointing. Right? <laughs> and it can be like, you have no, if you've never heard it, it can be super loud. We're all sitting around a table there's eight of us pastors, uh, young adult pastors. We're sitting around the table, and John Zick, who's the leader, go, is starting to, to talk as Ryan, the guy from Jessup's, reaches for crackers. And John Zick goes, this is, an, ah! <laughs> this is a national program. When he said the word national, I yelled, but it was a lot louder than that. Ryan, I wish you could have seen him. He was reaching for crackers, and they, he literally threw them up in the air. Four of the guys had never experienced anything like that. And they freaked out. And then because it, oh, because it scared them so bad, they all started laughing. Literally, one of the guys goes, and I won't tell you which one, but I'm so tempted. He goes, oh, my gosh, I think I started. Scared him so bad. Okay, I have no idea. I can't even remember why I was telling that story. And Eric's gonna kill me for the word I just used, but I just encourage you if you keep having relationship problems and the same things keep happening, don't be embarrassed to seek truth about yourself. Don't be embarrassed. And ask, ask the Holy Spirit, but ask people who love you. You know, how am I causing the breakdowns? What am I doing that's keeping my relationship shallow? Or, you know, I only have one friend, I have to chase them to the ground. For many of us who are control freaks, it's acknowledging I'm not always in charge. I'm not always right. And that's one control freak to many of you. So another uh, Point is to respect biblical authority, Romans 13. I'll give you an example of how this works in real life. I had a pastor who really could have lived without me. Um, Probably if he could have, like, come in with a pastoral magic wand, just tap-tap me on the shoulder, and I would have gone poof. And he'd go, whoops, see you in eternity. But unfortunately, he didn't have a wand, and I was very aware of how he felt. So I tried to have the right biblical response. And so I would just like stay away. And so if, if, say, he was over here ending the service and he was coming this way, I would, I would see, I could always see him out of the periphery because I didn't want to, God knows I didn't want to do a direct. <laughs> but I'd see him out of periphery and then I would just feel led to go this way. Because I'm going to sit over here. And uh, if I happened to get trapped like in here somewhere and he like got up the aisle before I felt led to go that way, then I would be talking and then just coincidentally I would turn around and start talking to somebody over here. I know it's pretty immature, but that was my reality for about (laughs) probably, I don't know, a couple of years. Yes, I've never been a fast learner. And so one time I'm coming in like this and I can see him indirectly coming up this aisle. So I start, you know, hey, I saw my friend over here and the Holy Spirit's like, what are you doing? I know the Holy Spirit probably talks nicer to some of y'all, but that doesn't really get my attention. So he's like, what are you doing? I said, uh, I was going to go sit over here. He goes, no, you're not. I go, well, did you have a different idea? I was like, yeah, I want you to walk down that aisle. Stop avoiding him. I was like, I could do that. (laughs) So I started walking down the aisle. He comes up, and as he comes by, the Holy Spirit's like, say hello. I'm like, hey, pastor. I spoke, and he was a little startled, because we had been doing this game for a long time. And he was aware of it <laughs> because he didn't like me, and he knew that I knew it, and I—we had a mutual understanding. <laughs> and so he was kind of like, you know, he'd go wherever he wanted to because I would always scuttle off to the other side, you know. Meanwhile, I'm establishing a demonic stronghold in my life. Oh, that's such an ugly word, and it's so true. And so, what the Holy Spirit started having me do is, when I came in, if he's anywhere around, feel free to march yourself up there and say hello. And the last thing you heard him say that was profound, feel free to compliment him. If he has a shirt on, because I like clothes, say something about his clothes. The Holy Spirit started having me say all kinds of things. He was a little like, What's going on? And I was a little trying to be happy about it. (laughs) But you know, the longer I did it, the freer I got. And that stronghold that I had chosen to build on my side of the relationship began to break, and it started breaking on his too. He didn't know what to do with me at first because I got friendlier and friendlier (laughs) because I like joy. You know, if you guys ever, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you know, if something makes me laugh out loud, I post it, even if it's embarrassing. Except for about four of them that I didn't. But I love joy. And I started feeling joyful. And I started feeling good. I don't know that he liked me anymore, but our relationship started improving. His kids started being friendly to me. They weren't before. Which told me what they were hearing at home. I'm not stupid. I grew up in the church. It totally shifted. Why? Because I stopped acting like a little brat. He's a pastor. He should come to me first. Not necessarily. Pastors are broken. They have broken areas in their life too. And when you step into that position and you start trying to pastor people and you see how many shots in the back they take, how many verses get used on them, all the judgment that comes against them, you're supposed to be there for me. You're the leader. If you really cared, you'd stop and talk to me. Why don't you ever take me to coffee? well cuz i'm only one person it totally changed everything it brought me such freedom i don't we've never really gone out to coffee i wouldn't say that he's a close friend of mine but i do know that i learned to respect his position cuz we have a biblical mandate to do that romans 13 read it Another point is, don't be afraid to admit when you don't, what you don't know about. Oh, wow. That's pretty ghetto. <laughs> don't be afraid to admit it when you don't know how to do family. A bunch of us didn't grow up in a really in a family that functioned very well. So it's like, yeah, that's my sister in the Lord, and I hate her just like I hate my real sister. <laughs> or we go to church and... You know, we always competed with our big brother. And that guy gets up and you hate him because he's got that, you know, Abercrombie Fitch look. He can just wear anything. And he's the right color and whatever color you think that should be. You know? That's how we do family because that's all we know. And so you want to look for... A place where you go to church, if you look around here, there's a whole bunch of different colors in this room. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of personalities. Lord Jesus. You have no idea. Jesus' unity came through family. Eric and Camille, I talked to them at, in Costa Rica because I went on vacation. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and they were there. That's why I went there. And um, so I was, I was with them, and I always intentionally, I went last year too, I play with Scarlett and Maverick. I like all the big people, but I get to see them. And when I'm in Costa Rica, we spend like two or three hours in the pool. We have a lot of deep conversations. I do a lot of deep sea diving for uh, Princess Leah and other... Celebrities like that. Um, And so after a while, I I mentioned to Eric and Camille, we were going somewhere. And I said, You know, it's amazing how you are teaching your children to like each other. Because, you know, Scarlett will do something nice for Maverick. And they're like, Maverick, say thank you. And one of them will be getting ready to leave. Maverick, give Scarlett a hug because you love her. And after a while, or I'm getting ready to go home. Give Uncle Eric a hug, or they're getting ready to go to bed. Here, give Uncle Eric a hug. And I'm like, y'all are very intentional in how you're teaching your children to honor one another. And Camille goes, you want your kids to like each other. A bunch of us didn't have that. So when you come into the body of Christ, it's not just the body. The body is one thing. So that's kind of like... I got to be body with you, you know. Some people, I really like them, and there's an instant click, and I just love being one in the spirit. And some people, I just, I'm sorry, I just don't like them immediately. You know, they don't realize how important I am. They don't realize how profound I am. They don't know how long I've served the Lord. Duh. Family's hard. Family's hard and worth it. Another pillar is brave communication with you. Do you. Powerful relationships are never cheaply obtained, particularly the one you form with yourself. Powerful relationships are never cheaply obtained, particularly the one you form with yourself. If you're a person who struggles with relationships, that's because you don't like yourself very well. And I'm a person who struggled so much with relationships that when I went from high school to college, I bought about five books on relationships and read them all back to back. And then I spent about two years trying to figure out just basics, and so many people trashed me because I sucked at it so bad I deserved to be deleted. From there, like, if we'd had contact list or Facebook back then, that was back in the 20s. If we'd had Facebook back then, I would have had a bunch of friend deletes. But I just kept at it. Have brave communication with yourself. Everybody talks about brave communication. I, loved, uh, I think Danny Silk did a teaching on that uh, a couple of weeks ago here in town. Know your insecurities and kill them with truth. Many of the things that kill unity are small at the beginning. I had somebody walk up to me, and this was a long time ago. It was so funny. They said, I think you're really arrogant. I was leading a young adult ministry in Omaha, Nebraska. I think you're really arrogant. And I was like, really? Why do you think that? And they're like, because. Every time I see you walking somewhere you always act like you know exactly where you're going. And they said it just like that. And I was like, trapped, because what do you say? (laughs) I mean, like, actually, when I'm walking somewhere, I do know where I'm going. Do you get lost a lot? (laughs) I couldn't think of anything to say. So I was just like, wow, well, thank you for sharing that. (laughs) I wanted to go, comma, stupid, but I didn't. (laughs) That did not hurt me at all. It didn't hurt my feelings. It was hilarious. I've been laughing about it for like 25 years. (laughs) I can't remember the person, but I remember how I felt. It was hilarious. Why? Because it was a lie. Just because I'm walking somewhere and I look like I know where I'm going? You think I'm arrogant. Okay, wow, you really walked in a lot of discernment. See, I'm still working on sarcasm. <clears throat> <laughs> but when, when something keeps pinging in you and you, you keep getting mad at different people for the same thing, it's about you. So ask Holy Spirit, most of the time, I don't know about y'all, but I have calluses because I still believe I'm right. So typically it takes a person to go, let me break it down for you, Eric. When you, and then they just lay it out for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. I got it broken down for me three times in the last 24 hours. It was awesome. Truly awesome. Love truth. Love it when somebody loves you enough. What do you think they get out of it? Sometimes, you know, I'll share something with someone and they get so offended. And I've gotten better and better about. I'm sorry, I never meant to offend you. (laughs) What did I think I got out of it? Oh, I love that snotty little look on your face. And I feel so good. I just set you free. (laughs) No, it takes energy to love somebody and not get offended when they like, who do you think you are? Well, I saw you do the same thing last week, which is probably true. <laughs> okay. Another one, another pillar is forgive. Bring your thoughts into captivity and tell yourself the truth. You're going to be an adolescent forever? Because if you're walking around with a bunch of unforgiveness, it's time you grew up. You're in absolute rebellion to the word of God. And the reason that I say that is because I let unforgiveness and bitterness ruin years of my life. Literal years. I'm not saying that forgiveness is easy. I told you a little bit of my testimony at the beginning. And actually, what happened to me in the church hurt me way worse than any molestation I ever survived by Christian leaders. You got to get over that too. Because if somebody's talking to you and they hurt your feelings, or sometimes you feel like you're gut shot. I have literally been left for dead by Christian leaders and they never came back to say they were sorry. I wasn't like, you know, the parable where the guy's laying on the side of the road and three real Christians pass him by? No, the real Christian went, oh, it's you. Boom. You got to get over it because they don't care. The only person's life who's being ruined is yours. And if you think I'm going to let someone ruin my life, I'm not. I'm not going to hate them. I learned the discipline of And sometimes it's really challenging, but you can forgive someone. We have sermons on the podcast. I've preached two of them the last couple of years. That is between you and the Lord. I refuse to judge you for that because I've done some heinous things myself. It might not match what you did to me, but I've done things to other people or to myself. I've been an amazing sinner. Overachiever. Overachiever. So I forgive you. Doesn't mean it's right. And it doesn't mean that I'm like, hey, about a group hug? Uh-uh, no, no group hug. But I forgive you. I have no judgment for you. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. Go work it out. And so then the next time I see them, I can go, hey, how you doing, pastor? And genuinely care about how they're doing because that mess they did is between them and the Lord. It's not between them and me. I do the same thing with my sons and daughters. I have awesome wisdom, amazing counsel. And sometimes they go, oh, thank you, and go right on by me and do exactly what they want to do. That's all right. Sometimes I'm wrong. Try it your way. Because it might work just as well or better. And just in case it doesn't, and they screw up, I'm their dad. So because they didn't do what I said, and now here we are with the consequences, sometimes it could almost break your heart. And all I have to do to get a point of reference for that, that's how God feels. And I gave him so many of those moments. If all my sons and daughters break, do things that have bad consequences for the next year, they probably wouldn't catch up to all the pain I caused the Lord. So I got arms for you. That's how you have to be with forgiveness. I can actually agree in prayer with someone that I may not actually be attracted to or personally like much. I know there's actuallys in there twice. It's because I mean it. I could listen to that pastor lead prayer from the pulpit and agree with him in prayer. Because what he's praying for, I agree with. And if you think I'm going to have some little attitude over something that maybe he's never said he's sorry for, think again. That's between him and the Holy Spirit. We're praying about something that I agree with, that I want to see happen. Are you starting to understand because if we're going to mature in the body of Christ and we're going to see this move of God, it's going to come because of unity. And sometimes, some people, they're going to think they're right till Jesus comes and beyond. And maybe when we get to heaven, Jesus will go, he did it right. You were wrong. I, I can take that. That doesn't mean I can't have unity with them. I may not go out to dinner with them because I wouldn't enjoy them as a person, But I don't have to, like, every time they start praying, oh, if everybody here knew what I know about you, you wouldn't even be touching that microphone. (laughs) No, you know what I reach for? The same thing God's given me. I take my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, which says every sin that's committed goes under the blood. And I'm supposed to have, today, my dad was talking to me about shame, my shame about my past. And he goes, you need to agree with the father who's very absent-minded. And I'm like, what you talking about? You're 82, you've got five books in print, and you're talking like that about God. He goes, what does the Bible say? It's under the blood. Agree with God. I was like, oh, all right. Another one is relish the opportunity for Glory that conflict brings. Ow! Oh! How! Remember what glory is? Glory is connection. Speak up. Oh, Shadi and I were walking. He had been reading this leadership book. <laughs> he made this statement. It was so annoying. Conflict. <laughs> yeah. So let me annoy all of you. Conflict is just the tough decision you haven't made. I didn't like it so much. Because it's true. When you're in limbo about something, it's easy to stand back and withdraw from unity. I can guarantee you, right now, there are at least, probably more, sorry to give a number, there's people who know things, like, I don't do things perfectly, I remember the time you talked to me, And I didn't feel about you the way Eugene did. I thought you sucked. (laughs) And the chances are that's because I sucked. And so you pull back. Or my personality doesn't really mesh with, let's say, Brian. You know, because he's so easy. He's a pushover. You know, you can just push anything over on him. And I just get tired of that. So we pull back because I don't like his personality. Don't do that. When somebody starts praying, when we start coming together as the body of Christ, I was being sarcastic right then, by the way. I was talking about Brian Ryan, who's no pushover. When we start praying, when we start coming into agreement, come into agreement. Ignore personality. It's not about, the Bible says nothing about personality. It says nothing about liking person. Stop being carnal and bring your mind into captivity to what the word of God says it's going to be. If you ever want to have any substance in the kingdom, you've got to agree with your father. And that means you have to give him the place of father. We have so many father wounds in our, in our world today and mother wounds that it's hard for us to truly bring ourselves underneath a father in the kingdom. Speak up. If something happens that I don't like, if I don't speak up, I own that problem fully. People cannot fix something they do not know is broken. I had three people in the last probably four months come to me with something they didn't understand, an interpersonal situation that happened. All three of them, when they were done, we're like, wow, I'm really shocked. This, didn't g- this wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I'm really glad. Because <laughs> they said things that they thought I would really be, you know, upset about. Thanks for being clear. You know? Develop healthy ways of processing conflict and commit to following that process. Many times, disunity is an overemphasis on feelings, rather than the commitment to the decision you're going to make. Stop running your life by feelings. I just don't feel like it. I don't care. At some point, you have to. If you're ever going to be a person who can be trusted in the kingdom. You've got to accept responsibility and to show up when you don't feel like it and to do what you're supposed to do when you don't feel like it. And it's not like, all right, I'm going to do it. No. Walk through that door with a smile on your face because pretty soon your heart will smile. Straight up. I was brought up in the, the ministry by Jeannie Mayo. She is a powerful woman. And she, she told me one of the first times I ever met with her, she said, you are hilarious. I love your sarcasm. And you're not going to talk like that in this ministry. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Sarcasm was how I protected my heart. When I was 14 years old, two girls made me cry in English class. And I sat there and I thought to myself, this will never happen to me again. That's called a... a uh, a soulish vow. This will never happen again. And you know what? It didn't. Because God had given me a lot of discernment. And I learned just to look at someone, see where their weak spots were. And I didn't use it on on, uh, weak people. But I got beat on a lot because I was not the most masculine thing on the block. And whenever those guys would come up to me, I was always like, you might knock me down, but before I hit the ground, my tongue is going to catch you three times, and you're never going to forget what I say to you. And I'm not even going to feel it when I hit the ground. And literally, in my sophomore year, my whole world changed. I never got picked on again because I was mean as a junkyard dog, and I had nothing left to lose. So touch me. I dare you touch me. I asked my best friend, who was captain of every athletic team. We roomed together in college. My freshman year, I said, what changed? He said, I don't know, Eric. There was something that was scary about you. And I realized I had nothing to lose. So let me hurt you. Develop healthy ways of processing conflict. Not like that. You can do that. There's so many. Danny Silk has Keep Your Love on. It's so good. I was focused on my feelings. So I never had unity with most people because I was so insecure. I could always, with my amazing discernment, which is all, it was actually analysis without the Holy Spirit, I was always analyzing people and judging them. So I never had unity with anyone. So long as your feelings make decisions for you, you will be unstable and untrustworthy of responsibility in the kingdom. If you're ruled by your feelings, every time God wants to do something substantial in or through your life, all the enemy has to do is push one of your buttons, and you're disabled. Yeah, whether it's apparent on the surface of your life or not. A bunch of us are so good at our masks, and I know this, I can literally remember I remember one time this guy was talking to me about how much he hated faggots, and he was another leader, but we were just talking among us because none of us would ever deal with anything like that. And he went on and on in great detail. And that was before I got a little bolder, and um, I just said, you know, it's okay to talk to me like that, but you don't want to talk about like that with anyone else ever again. He was like, you think? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. So long as your feelings make your decisions for you, you will be unstable and untrustworthy of responsibility in the kingdom. I realize that I'm speaking to a lot of you tonight. The reason that I'm being so clear is because I'm a father in the kingdom. I believe that what's coming is going to require a bunch of grown-ups, to actually father and mother, a bunch of these young people who are coming in, and many of them will have never been in the church. They will not even understand what we're talking about. If you don't learn to do things because it's the right thing to do, they're going to run you. They're going to run you off. Because when people come in with a bunch of hurts, they stab you so full of holes, sometimes you think you'll never be able to do it again. I've had days that were so discouraging. Oh, my gosh. The week before I went on vacation this year, I had five meetings that week that just about did me in. And that's my joy to do that. Because that's my calling as a believer. That's your calling too. If you're ruled by your feelings, every time God wants to do something substantial in He always does it in you before he does it through you. Every time God wants to do something substantial in or through your life, all the enemy has to do is push one of your buttons and you're disabled, whether it's apparent on the surface of your life or not. The next one is seek to know your own truth before you point out someone else's. This will help you avoid judgment. I don't point out splinters in others' eyes when I'm trying to see past the plank in my own. If you know what your planks are, you'll leave other people's splinters alone. Because you're going to be judged exactly like you judge. The last one is avoid sarcasm. (laughs) Sarcasm is many times a passive-aggressive truth presented to make a point, but it's presented deceptively as mere humor. I was just joking, which is a lie. The person who was just presented with my sarcasm has the choice of looking like a bad sport or acting like I was funny when their heart has no laughter in it. So what I'm asking them to do is lie. And when that's what I'm constantly, with my conversations, pulling people into, is agreeing with a lie about themselves, I'm destroying their destiny. Because peer pressure is so powerful, and leaders, the more that we have positions that we think are responsible in the kingdom, the more we think we can live above these things. And we stop paying attention to the things that really matter. And so I'll be sarcastic and you gotta laugh because you gotta be a good sport because you know we're all just having a good time, right? And slowly the people's hearts around you shrivel and die. And all of your relationships are about this deep I know because that was my world. They lose, I win, but in actuality, we all lose. When you're hurt by sarcasm, vulnerably share with the person how you feel. Can you pass those out? So we're going to pass out. I want you to have this uh, passage from the Passion Bible. I just love uh, the Passion Bible because it's, I, I think of it as a Bible with a heart. I mean, they all have a heart, but some of them I have a hard time reading <laughs> because they don't feel like they have a heart. Pass them down that row if you would. And just like, yeah. It's Colossians three twelve through 14. The reason I want you to have it is because it's just the sweetest way of encouraging you to grow. Anybody not have it? Awesome. Let me read it to you. You are always and dearly loved by God. So robe yourself with virtues of God. Since you have been divinely chosen to be holy, be merciful as you endeavor to understand others and be compassionate, showing kindness toward all. Be gentle and humble, unoffendable in your patience with others. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you've been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness to them. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. I just want to encourage you. If I stepped on some of your toes, God loves you enough to, to bruise your, your toes. Because you have a future and a destiny that's secure in the kingdom. But you have to take it. And it will not happen because you're careless or casual. It will be because you very intentionally responded to truth. So I just want you to feel loved by truth. A father is always going to come to you with your destiny and say, here, here's your destiny. Take my hand. Our podcasts are an amazing way to take your hand. If you're here tonight and you have questions, go on the podcast on our epiclife.org website. There's so many awesome sermons on there. So much truth, so much wisdom.